I am your host, Michael Feenan. And I'm Aaron Hill. Be sure to check us out at drunkenux.com and Twitter and Facebook.com slash drunkenux. You can also hop by our website and check us out on Slack. We have links uh, in our contact section in the show notes. Or just go to drunkenux.com slash Slack. This evening, I am drinking a lovely glass of Balvenie Doublewood 12 Scotch oh, nice. because... At the end of the day, I like a lot of things, but I do have an awful lot of scotch in my bar, and so I stick to what I know. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> I've got a, a snifter of some sipping tequila, Grand Mayan, ultra aged. It is amazing. And Smoothest I thought I was going to. I, I was trying to be fancy tonight, but uh, I guess I'm going to be on that note. So. I want to start this evening by giving a shout out to our friends, uh, of which I have none at SpaceX, uh, and my good friend who isn't Elon Musk, because dude just shot his fucking Tesla Roadster into space today, and <laughs> all I can think about now is how many kids are going to be sitting over like summer vacation this year, and they're going to be gluing G.I. Joes and the Hot Wheels on top of model <laughs> rockets, because fuck, that'll be cool. Yeah. So shout out to him, but... In in real life and in, in in our world, uh, I do want to uh, give a shout out to the folks over at uh, W3C about uh, the WCAG 2.1 release or candidate release rather that came out on January 30th. Wait for the folks for the folks keeping score at home. What's WCAG? Oh, I'm, I'm I... sorry. Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I, I violated rule number one of not using <laughs> jargon, and I I've done that straight away. Um, yeah. So 2.1 came out. Uh, I really, really wish, I know this has been coming for a while, but I really wish it was more than just a .x release. Um, I would love a 3.0 release because it has been literally a decade since WCAG 2.0 came out. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'll take what I can get, and they are doing a lot in this. Um, I'll be interested to see uh, Project Silver. Mm -hmm. Project Silver is the evolution of WCAG uh, 2.1 which is going to take, and I quote, several more years. <laughs> Wait, why Why is it silver? It's uh, AG, right? Oh, right, right. Like, periodic, it. It, silver on the periodic table is AG yeah. accessibility guidelines. Very, very clever, very, good marketing very clever. on their part. <laughs> but I, I do feel like accessibility needs to be much more of a living standard. And mm-hmm. even if, okay, maybe not annual, but, you know, biannual. I don't think it's too much to ask. One of the problems that WCAG 2.0 has had is that many of the standards, while some of them will, you know, live large forever, um, a lot of them, especially when it comes to technology and interactivity, eh, you know, they they have not aged well. And a lot Mm -hmm. of it is missing new stuff that was not around 10 years ago. Yeah. You got to remember, iPhone came out in 2007. WCAG 2.0 came out in 2008. We weren't (laughs) thinking very much about mobile devices and things like that yet. Um, oh. 2.1 does address some of this, right? Awesome. Uh, some of the highlights I think people want to just kind of be on the lookout for. One is Zoom. We've dealt with Zoom for a long time for uh, visual acuity problems. Mm-hmm. And they are formally looking to set the standard of uh, you have to be able to scale, scale a website 400% at 320 CSS pixels. Okay. For for the layman, it's that's two or 1,280 normal pixels, basically. You have to be able to scale that to 400% without any additional scrolling. So you maintain, you know, a linear vertical scroll. Mm-hmm. Your content needs to reflow. That's that's the word they're using. Um, and many people use – that's not a new word. They did not make up that word. Uh, but <laughs> – Zooming, zooming is big, and the idea is that the 320 CSS pixels and zooming at 400%, that is equivalent to viewing something just on your phone. Yeah. that That's why that is the number. Uh, the next is character key shortcuts, which I think is huge because with the number of sites, like if you use YouTube a lot or if you're a Jira user um, or any sort of web app, um, mm-hmm. they tend to have lots of keyboard shortcuts. And the idea is they want to allow people to remap keys so that they don't collide with things like screen readers. You know that what's going to happen is DirecTV now is finally going to get their keyboard <laughs> shortcuts for the player. 
and then they're going to be behind the curve on being able to remap it. <laughs> if you don't know why that's funny, go back and listen to episode three. <laughs> good call. Good call. Uh, that was unscripted, and I have to give Aaron some credit on that. Uh, the other is uh, mouse events and target size, and these are, I think, pretty important too. First off, uh, target size, they're setting a minimum clickable size of 44 by 44 pixels. So if mm-hmm. you have something clickable, for the sake of motor control and things like that, it has to have a minimum size. Um, and the mouse events is interesting because they're basically what they're saying is you should never target a mouse down event for something. But why? So, and I've done this. This is even uh, a problem. I don't have any motor disabilities or anything like that or any trouble you know, using a mouse or moving around. But the idea is it's easy for people to click wrong on things. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. And I've, I've done this a million times. You you click on a link you don't mean to or whatever the case may be, or you click something even in your browser. And a lot of the time, the trick is you realize it very quickly, and you just don't click up, and you just move your mouse off and then let off, and nothing happens. But mm-hmm. some web apps, um, uh, certainly if you use jQuery for a lot of things and you are binding events to on mouse down – um oh, don't do that <laughs> yeah it's basically you know you're you're talking about doing something when only half an interaction has taken place and yeah. that's what they're trying they're, you know they're trying to say let's try to make sure that stuff only happens when a complete you know a mouse click is a click down and letting it come up intentionally so the uh the target size issue is um uh, fits law on the from the laws of ux that's where the um difficulty of clicking on something as a function of the distance to it and the size of the thing you're clicking on yeah that's right yeah 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 Yeah, and that's this is an argument and this will be an episode i don't know when but accessibility is usability Mm -hmm. that idea that if you can make something accessible and you make it usable that you're meeting everybody's needs it's not necessarily about just making stuff easy for people that have any kind of functional or cognitive impairment for uh using websites so yeah yeah, that leads directly into that. One of the things, and I debated uh, tossing this out there, but I did want to mention it because it was interesting. Um, it's at risk, meaning it may not make the final recommendation um, and is currently okay. on the chopping block, but it's identify common purpose. Mm-hmm. I I don't understand. I've, I've read the show notes, but I still don't understand it. <laughs> right, so for the benefit of our listeners, here's what the recommendation currently reads. It says, in content implemented using markup languages, for each user interface component that serves a purpose identified in the common purposes for user interface components section, that purpose can be programmatically determined. Okay, so now you know what it means, right, Aaron? It's clear as mud. (laughs) Basically, (laughs) the idea is that they want to allow users to be able to control their interface. Um, this is particularly true if you have a cognitive impairment that makes it hard to understand all the different interfaces that are being presented. So you could go in oh. – if you use three different social media platforms, you could mm-hmm. use your own set of icons so that common actions have common communication to you. So is this like if you're using Favicon or Glyphicons or something, then – and someone's using, I don't know, the pencil for the edit action, you would have your own icon that you can read and understand and that would swap in for it? Right. Or, you know, okay. if if one service is using the, the famous floppy disk save icon and, right. you know, you have trouble remembering <laughs> what that is and you have a, you know, an icon that simply says save, you can use that in place of those other ones. Right. I do think this poses a lot of, Interesting options for things like icon fonts um, yeah. and opportunities for that. But I also think that it is a huge, huge implementation problem, mm-hmm. um, especially from the standpoint of if somebody already has a cognitive disability, yeah, you're asking them to figure out how to adapt like an icon font to different sites and everything. And I, I think that's hard. Yeah. Um, and I think that's exactly why it's at risk uh, at the moment because they can't figure out how to – give a recommendation and how to uh, test all of those cases. So we'll, we'll see where it goes, but it is an interesting concept and I encourage folks to go check up on it. If, if this interests you and as a web developer, a, you, you know, UX tester, a UI designer, I don't care. It should interest you. Um, 2.1 looks to be released around June. So you've got awesome. You know, 
a solid five months, four months to go in and um, look over the current uh, candidate recommendation and see see what you think. Uh, yeah. It matters. Uh, tonight, though, the real topic of this evening is going to be on restaurants. Yeah. Restaurantes. Uh, I, I like it because it's a bridge between the analog and digital world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a way that you, you, people who visit restaurant websites very quickly, in theory, translate to in-person uh, customers yeah. and, and visitors. Their conversions are easy to track. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the conversions there are simple. They're straightforward. Um, and restaurants themselves, for from a web standpoint, are fairly straightforward. Um, you know, users come there for, for a number of reasons, by a number of uh, uh, means, whether that's search, you know, reading blogs, looking for photos. Um, they need maps of your location or they want to ask questions mm-hmm. about, you know, what you make or how you make it. Um, there, you, you there know, it would be funny reasons. if uh, it'd be funny if restaurants had the same um, bounce rate as websites do. Like, uh, you know, fifty percent of the people come into the restaurant, look at the menu at the front desk, and then like, nah, and then leave. <laughs> I, th- I think that's uh, what uh, Gordon Ramsay's uh, Kitchen Nightmares is for. <laughs> right? That's that. Yeah. Those are the restaurants that have that. <laughs> I think it's worth noting there's a some research that Marketing for Restaurants did in 2014. They noted that for restaurants in particular, uh, 36% of their web traffic was mobile. That was four Ooh. years ago. So we're talking about oh, there's no way that number has gone down. We all know that that's going to have increased. Um, and the yeah. other important number that was included in that was that less than half of the traffic in total was from desktops. Okay, I'm no dummy. I can do math. How do we have less than half from a computer and then 36% from mobile? What's what's missing? My, my guess is that tablets may be getting tracked as not mobile. Um, oh, okay. All, yeah, there's probably also room for, you know, your PS4 or whatever. They have web browsers integrated <laughs> right. into them. Or um, okay. if you have a car PC, um, I've got uh, an Android head unit. Okay. Maybe it gets tracked as mobile. Right. I don't know. But there's – or unknown. You know, there's, I think, a lot of yeah. ways that that gets right uh, tracked that – you know, there's margin of error, I'm guessing, but mobile web presence and web presence in general. But I do want to mm-hmm. talk a lot about mobile as we go through this, because you have to think about the fact that for restaurants in particular, a lot of your traffic is while in my area, for instance, we have a lot of family owned restaurants, uh, you know, uh, sole proprietor type restaurants. But mm-hmm. they still do a lot of business with travelers, you know, people driving through, flying through wherever you are. On any given day, millions and millions of Americans are flying across the country um, to different right. locations. So your website, while you may think, oh, you know, everybody in town knows what I have, you have to consider mm-hmm. that fact that an important part of your business are the people who have no clue because they aren't from here. Um, and that's uh, – Restaurants are definitely a big part of hospitality. I mean it's like literally half of it, right? Ho- yeah. You have hotels and you have restaurants. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I want folks to keep that in mind. I also do want to kind of emphasize that as I talk about this and Aaron gets into some of this, you know, we are looking kind of at these smaller restaurants, not necessarily mm. the big chains. We're not talking about Applebee's. We're not talking about McDonald's or Chili's. Right. Um, these people have marketing budgets. They have entire teams that can take care of these problems for them. Even though many of them have a lot of bad practices they are not necessarily the beneficiaries of what we're going to talk about tonight, I think. Right. They've also got TV commercials and much larger budgets to pay big firms to do their websites. So, yeah. They can still make a bad website, but... (laughs) And half the time they make bad food, too. But you know what? People (laughs) fucking buy it. So, yeah. They don't need this. If you work for McDonald's, turn off our podcast. We don't need you. But if you want to, you know, sponsor us, eh, give us a call. <laughs> so we'll take uh, it. We'll take it. Google. Uh, and this is something I think not a lot of people realize, but Google started indexing and showing menus in quick results in 2014. Yes. Um, so this goes back roughly four years, three and a half ish, um, that they started pulling in menu data from a third party resource. We'll talk about later. Um, and if you searched for restaurant plus menu or menu plus mm-hmm. restaurant, you would get a menu if they had one available for you. Yeah. 
Um, you even can get, if you use the Maps app, like there occasionally I'll be, if I'm in a new city or if I'm just looking for something to eat that's nearby, you can search on Google Maps and for restaurants or so even be more specific than that. You can filter by what's open right now. Right. So you can, and it's using the open close times that it thinks that you have from your website. So if you have your website with the wrong open close times, um, people are going to get bad results when they search for you on Maps. Yeah, and like we said, a lot of your customers are potentially going to be travelers. Mm-hmm. The reason they are searching to begin with is because they don't know. You know, they're looking right. for this information. That's um, a, that's actually a really good point that your audience, if they're looking on the internet, there are people who don't know your restaurant already. Yeah. And so it's all the more important. Like anybody who's been to your restaurant before and knows, they're probably not going to be looking on the internet for it unless they just want to make sure that you're open. Or um, if uh, we've yeah. got like a, a Chinese place here that I look up regularly because I don't have a paper menu for them. Mm-hmm. And the problem isn't that I don't know what they have. They're a Chinese place. I know exactly what they have. They have fucking Chinese food. <laughs> right. But I don't know it's the names the same of menu. all of it. <laughs> right. I need to know what I'm asking for or better yet, what the specials are. Mm-hmm. Um, and this came up in a conversation I had with a food uh, photography group on Facebook that – one of the biggest complaints that people had was that they couldn't look up on people's websites and see what specials were. Yeah, yeah. You know, even if they had a menu and had all the other information, they couldn't find out what was worth coming for today, for instance. Right. Uh, and Google, for its part, have mixed feelings because they also aren't giving people a lot of control over this. They're relying mm-hmm. on this third-party data in terms of how it gets into their system. And yeah, so it's all it, emergent. It, it makes it... I guess, you know, it puts the impetus on the owners of, of the restaurants and, and their web developers to focus on doing this right at that level. And that's good. But I also wish there was a reverse way to go in and say, hey, let's fix this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think Facebook has that, don't they? Like if you have a – if they have your page or business index and you own the establishment or connect with it, you can issue corrections, can't you? Right, yeah, you can you – can, yeah. Uh, yeah. Put in a change request, and if somebody else right. controls that page, they'll get a notification. Right. So this also puts uh, emphasis on if you do web development for restaurants, if you help your local chefs and and eateries and, and whatever they might be, make sure that you're helping them, watching their analytics, plugging into Google Webmaster Tools especially. Look what people are searching for to find mm-hmm. that site what they want the most, I guarantee you positively that whatever the name is plus menu will be really high on that list. (laughs) And use that to help them form strategy and pay attention to that because it will give you a lot of useful information. Um, One area where this absolutely falls apart are people who, hell, I ran into this Three weeks ago, it was right around New Year's time I was looking at a restaurant. They still had a goddamn flash menu. Are you serious? <laughs> it's 2018. I haven't been able to use flash on my phone for years. Why yeah. do you have a flash menu still? Oh, man. I, or, or the PDF, PDF menus. That's not any better. PDF is I mean, no well, it's, better. It's a, it's a little better because you can actually read it on your phone. But, I, I mean... Functionally speaking, it's no better. No, so I'm going to disagree with you because I don't think it's – I think it's exactly as bad, and here's why. Okay. Okay, you can download it, but A, if – there are a few restaurants that I have gotten PDF menus from that are doing it well. A, or, or, or exhibit A, mm-hmm. I want to present to the court for review. <laughs> they are taking a photo or scanning an image. It is not text. They are mm-hmm. doing it at 300 or higher oh. DPI. Their what? menu is now a 90 megabyte PDF file <laughs> that cannot be indexed by Google because of both size and the fact that there's no actual text in it. There's no OCR. Then that menu is two columns at eight and a half inches by 11 inches, and you were asking me to look at it on a phone with a five-and-a-half-inch screen. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair point. So fair point. you can take your PDF menus, roll them up <laughs> nice and tight, and cram them. And 
trust me, all of the user research and commentary on this matter backs up all of that. Yeah. Um, PDF menus are across the board a complaint. So this is really like an SEO concern then. It's absolutely right? you are if you have a PDF or a flash menu, you are just willfully throwing away SEO value. Yeah. Uh, it's, oh. Nobody can crawl it. Nobody can index it, and nobody can present it. Google can't isn't going to put a PDF in their quick results. It's just not going to happen. Right. Um, uh, at GIS Eloquent or 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 Gis Eloquent, I don't know. Uh, Twitter handles are hard. Ricky Spanish. Yeah. Um, she had said, <laughs> "Oh, and let's have a trash mobile site and menu only available by PDF download." I won't even fuck with a restaurant that makes me download their <laughs> fucking menu. Oh, I mean, I people, this is not an uncommon sentiment, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them, not even for a minute. So how how much, like, how much traffic are people getting, like, from certain – if this is an SEO issue, like, what's what's the stats on that? Okay. If you couldn't tell at home, that's what we call a setup. <laughs> marketing for restaurants so they they ran this uh this research it is linked in the show notes so if you want to go and, and check out all of it by all means go read it it's worth it again it's four years old but still good information 50 percent, give or take of inbound traffic for restaurants was from search half these are people that are looking for something related to your restaurant website not people yeah. that know you that know what they want that don't you know that can come straight there and get what they need so seo plays a huge part and i think even more important than that um national restaurant news you yeah. have to go back five years so this is information from five 2013 years. that was um Har harlem shake right the harlem shake meme unfortunately yes <laughs> that is the exact year the Harlem Shake came out. So if you want to know how bad 2013 was of a year, there you go. But wow. the important stat that came out of their research was that 92% of mobile users searched for restaurants within the past month of their research. I, I can only imagine the numbers higher now. 92%. If you had yeah. a phone, and again, we're going back five years. Five years is an eternity in mobile technology at this point. Yeah. Uh, but five years ago, people universally, I mean, let's just say yeah. it like it is 92% is everybody was searching yeah. for restaurants on their phones. There's that, that, that is a number that is really hard to just be like, yeah, we don't care about that. Yeah. There's I, no way frankly, that I'm, I'm, I frankly, I'm surprised that that 50% inbound traffic number isn't bigger because I, I, if I already know about a restaurant, um, I'm probably not going to be searching for them. I'm going to just be going directly to their site or going to the place in and person. The two things I will throw out there about that is, A, again, four-year-old data. But two, mm -hmm. I don't know what the restrictions on that methodology was. So, for instance, one of the searches I, – I travel a lot. I go to speak at conferences. I work for mm -hmm. a company that's in a different city. So I, I have occasion to go to a lot of places. One of the things I do most frequently is I go to Google Maps and type yep. in the phrase restaurants near me. Yes, I do the same. And I don't know that, you know, as far as this research goes, I don't know that that counts necessarily as a search as far as people getting information. Because it doesn't oh, show wow. up, you know, necessarily in Google Analytics, uh, at least not yeah. straight away, um, especially if I don't go to your site. Because, again, a lot of the times I'm looking for the list and the map of what's around me and what the quick hitter, you know, information is. I'm not going to every one of those websites. So what Google knows about you is really more important than what you put on your website at that point. But it informs each other. Google collates all this, like, emergent data that it finds about your restaurant from various parts of the web. It's going to look at Yelp. It's going to look at whatever it can find from your website or from what, Yellow Pages. I don't know what people are using. But it's gonna it's gonna find all that and it's gonna uh, put it all together onto that entry that comes up when you search on Google Maps. And if you have bad data up there, it's gonna make. I mean, if you see three results, right, and one of them doesn't have useful information, other two do, you're probably not gonna look at the one that doesn't have anything useful. Yeah. So you're missing out. 
if you're interested in mobile data, I'm not going to talk a lot about it here, but there's an article from PageCloud that has a ton of information regarding mobile traffic trends and how they relate to restaurant Ooh. traffic. Um, a lot of it, I, I don't include much in here because that data is heavily skewed towards just mobile trends, like on the whole. Okay. But it is still a right. lot of really good data, and I do encourage folks to go read that. Links in the show notes. DrunkenUX.com. Good site. Uh, so <laughs> there, there is a, uh, a, a is, is memnonic, pneumonic, pneumatic uh, device for uh, <laughs> for restaurants, which is PAM. Make sure PAM. your website has PAM. PAM is a loving, Easily. caring person who will guide you through these challenges <laughs> pam is your phone number your address and your menu yeah that sounds about right <laughs> this is this is what people are after at cincinnati bites uh they had a they do reviews of restaurants believe it or not in cincinnati um and they they missed the acronym a little bit but they mentioned that there are just three things i want from a restaurant website the menu the address and the hours of operation <laughs> <laughs> so many fail to supply all three. So phone is not included in that, but we will forgive them on, on that one. So so literally yesterday I was on Twitter and Existential Comics said, things I want to see when I go to a restaurant's website. One, the menu. Two, the hours. Things I don't want to see. One, literally anything else, you goddamn assholes. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, so... We'll talk about this in, in an episode that's coming up about um, Higher Ed. Higher Ed has this webcomic from XKCD. And yeah. it has oh, man, plagued. That it has absolutely <laughs> plagued that industry for years. And it turns out restaurants have the same thing, um, except it's from The Oatmeal. And right. The Oatmeal has a comic. Again, it, it's linked in the show notes if you want to go see it. But he's got what I want from a restaurant website. He wants <laughs> yeah. the menu. The specials and happy hour info, an address with a link to Google Maps, an online reservation <laughs> system that actually works. I'll talk about oh. that later, though. And hours of operation. Um, yeah. And then there's a great little screenshot, and he's like, here's what I get instead. Obnoxious <laughs> flash animation showing giant pictures of couples stuffing food in each other's faces. <laughs> menu Menu is only downloadable as a 90-megabyte PDF file. Can't copy and paste anything because it's in Flash. Yep. Letter from the founder that no one has ever or will ever read. And every restaurant website owner thinks that they're the first person to use the papyrus font. Please don't ever use papyrus. There, there's no reason to. At any rate, funny. Good stuff. I feel sorry <laughs> that people have to put up with that. I, I think, I mean, it's worth restating. I know we've mentioned this multiple times, but the, the idea of the PAM, the, the PAM, it's not that your website can only be that. It's that. If you do not have those three things clearly usable, no matter what else you have on your web restaurant website, you are failing. Yeah, you must have Pam. So Evan Williams at Evan Williams posted this thread. Uh, what had just a week ago, give or take. Uh, mm -hmm. Restaurant website designer, you know what your website needs? Restaurant owner, <laughs> a clear way to contact us and reserve a table. Restaurant website designer, a three thousand word our philosophy section. Restaurant owner <laughs> nodding. Let's not even put our phone number on the website. So I actually participated on that thread, and I said, in my experience, those roles are switched. Um, I I think it's usually the designers that are advocating for sensible websites because most of us are pretty competent people, and it's usually the restaurant owners who are a bit out of touch. But that's my experience. I think it depends on who they have as that website designer role. Fair point. You know, yeah. I, I think that plays in heavily. Uh, yeah. So when we talk about web designers and, and developers in their role, I do want to bring up Schema because Schema plays a huge role in this now. Uh, and if you're wondering what the fuck Schema is, I promise you it is not a song by Tool. <laughs> <laughs> I know the pieces fit. <laughs> it it all comes together eventually here. So schema is in if you aren't familiar with the term, it's basically a way of marking up data on web pages so that mm. other things, mach other machines can come in, read those pages and know what's there and contextualize yeah. it. 
Uh, sure, like the meta tags and whatnot. Right. It's a great yeah. data tool. It's terrible for restaurant owners um, because mm. they have no idea what any of this means at all. Uh, and they have yeah. no means with which to, to enable it. But if you are a web developer listening to this show, which I believe you are, and I assume you're probably not a restaurant owner, um, unless you're just really multi-talented, you need to know this stuff. Um, there is yeah. a menu schema now. Really? There is an updated menu schema. There is a link to it, again, in the show notes. Go check okay. it out. It's incredibly complex, too. Um, it used to be very, very simple, but they've made a, a an update to that schema that's so much more complex. On uh, Moz.com? Yes, yeah. Uh, they are, I love them. They're oh, fun. yeah. They are, they're trying to empower a lot of industries through this process mm -hmm. of using data schemas. And in this case, they're doing everything. Now, one of the other you know big complaints that I had, uh, was reading about in this uh, restaurant group was about things like restaurants that don't post things like allergy information, ingredient information, mm. nutritional information. The schema that is released now for menus includes options for every bit of that. Nice. So I, I would say as important as those things are, after Pam. After absolutely Pam. after Pam. But Yeah, Pam comes first. The next thing after that, <laughs> Pam's last name is Schema, baby. Yeah, Pam Schema. <laughs> Pam Schema. <laughs> Sounds like something you need to take Xylotrex for. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, it's not just menus, right? The name of right. the restaurant, there is schema markup mm -hmm. for that. Addresses. Hours, phone, contact information, hmm. all of it. There's schema information that covers all of that that helps all of these other services that go out there and look for restaurant websites, you know, or whatever that case may be, that help yeah. that process and make sure that that information is displayed right when it's shown in other tools that aren't your website. So is this, uh, like, related to RDF stuff, rich, rich document format? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's very uh, much loosely? on that same, same okay. measure. I don't want to digress too much here. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, and I know, right? Restaurants, I, man, they're already working on razor thin margins. Restaurants mm -hmm. make almost no money. It's very hard to be successful and certainly, yeah. you know, profitable to any real degree running restaurants, especially in the first few years. So, yeah, yeah it, it's totally understandable that when when you approach a restaurant, and this is true for any kind of mom and pop shop, you know, small business, mm -hmm. they view web development as a burden. Yeah, You know, they view it as something that it's like, oh, God, it's something else I have to spend money on now. Right. Um, but I, the, the argument I would make to them is, you know, you have to look at this as sunk cost. It's something that you, you basically, if you spend money up front and mm -hmm. you don't have to go overboard, but just, you know, spend a modest amount. Uh, yeah. 500 to to $1,000, I think, is... Fine. It's for, reasonable. I think that's very reasonable for any small yeah. place. Um, yeah. Do it right. Have it done, you know, once. And you don't necessarily incur a really heavy ongoing expense outside of just mm -hmm. keeping your domain registered and having a place to put the damn thing. And, you know, really, if you're worried about cost, you can you can satisfy the PAM thing. Good point. I've drank too much. Um <laughs> You can you can get the Pam thing going. You don't have to use any crazy. You don't have to use WordPress or anything else. You can just do static HTML and have someone design a really basic website that has that Pam information, and you know just ride that out for a year or two. Absolutely. Until you become yeah, and then redo your website later. I think people have put way too much uh, weight on this idea of you have to have a CMS. By God, yeah. if you aren't using WordPress, well, you just aren't with it. If you aren't using Drupal, yeah. then you aren't with it. You know, there's a website. It's html5up.net. They mm -hmm. have a pretty extensive list of HTML5-based website templates that are just HTML, mm -hmm. and they're they're free to use. And they're they're good-looking. They're very functional. They, they are they're, nice. They're free. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what more do you want? Plug your own images in, throw your own text in, and FTP. Most restaurants can meet Pam. Well, you can meet Pam with one page if you absolutely have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you want to get crazy, you can do a couple. But if all you're doing is hosting a website, if you have less than, let's say, five pages, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's worth it to go through the effort of figuring out, okay, because once you've got WordPress don't installed, as good as it is, as as functional and, and straightforward as stuff is, you have to keep it up to date, keep your security patches done, yep. remember your login. You have to train, yep. if you're a developer, you have to train somebody in theory to keep mm-hmm. updates going on that. Uh, but also, it's hungry. I, th- I think the, the real take home point there too is if, if you're a developer, Working for mm-hmm. a restaurant, or if you're a restaurant looking for somebody to help you, don't be afraid to get creative, guys. And I don't mean with design. Yeah. <laughs> Find yourself. Do you have a university nearby? Then mm-hmm. contact their uh, graphics department. Um, get a hold of a local developer. Jump on Facebook and, and reach out for somebody who does web development locally. Arrange a quid pro quo agreement. You know what everybody loves? Everybody or loves to eat. Let me let me let me take a guess. Can yeah. I take a guess? Is it free yeah. food? Everyone loves to eat free food. <laughs> yeah. That's yep. there's nothing wrong with being a developer and taking barter in exchange for services, especially if you're working with somebody local to your area. Um, yeah. I will happily I would totally do that. Yeah. I yeah. I happily and readily admit I've done that on many, many occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the barter to me, I usually get more value out of, frankly, than getting paid cash yeah. on some of those. You do, uh, like 10, 10 to 20 meals comped or whatever. I mean, nothing unreasonable. And I think as a developer, you should respect and not like try to really milk that or anything, but yeah, just get like, get some comped meals, get it on paper. Maybe that that's the other important <laughs> right. part is even if you're, you are doing a, a barter agreement or whatever, Anybody who has developed websites long enough knows about the website Clients from Hell. <laughs> oh my gosh. Don't end up there. Yeah. Make sure everything's on paper and stuff is agreed to, but from that point forward, yeah, get creative. And don't be afraid as a restaurant, be you know, you can it's okay. You aren't gonna offend most people if you say, you know what, I don't mm-hmm. have a lot of money, but I would love to work out an agreement. If you like our food and you wanna help yeah. us out and we wanna help you out, let's let's work this out. Especially college students? Hell yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even if you're a pizzeria, man. Free pizza? Shit. (laughs) So, after the break, we'll come back here. We're going to refill our glasses, get a little bit more sloppy, and start talking a little bit about third-party resources and how they can factor in to restaurant websites. (laughs) This mezcal is amazing. The Drunken UX Podcast is made possible by our friends at GasMark8. GasMark8 is a web hosting firm with data centers in New York, San Francisco, London, and Frankfurt. Customers of GasMark8 enjoy free SSL certificates, sites that are served over HTTP2, and the experience of owners who designed a service around the needs of their customers. Listeners of the Drunken UX Podcast can enjoy service for $10 a month. Just sign up at gasmark8.com drunk. That's gasmark8.com slash drunk. Welcome back, and we hope that you enjoyed that short and enjoyable break. I'm Michael Fink. <laughs> I'm Aaron Hill. <laughs> I don't know why I went that way with it, but I did, and well, enjoy. <laughs> so all of this stuff is, is, is cool, and I, I hope that it gets folks started and thinking about how you can do the just you know the, the bare minimum of a website and get things going and, and understand what you need. There are other things in play here um you know think of it kind of like a solar system you know while your website is going to be the sun there's a lot of planets that circle around this thing yeah i don't want to not mention them because i do think they are important for instance reservation booking there there are more reservation booking systems out there than i can count between services that provide it for you and wordpress plugins that uh add it in if you're using a cms um we have to mention it same thing goes reviews. I've talked to a lot of people that really enjoy reading third-party reviews. And, of course, if you're running mm-hmm. a website and you're featuring reviews, you're probably only going to feature the good ones. Yeah. I mean, you could legitimately have 100% five stars, but if it's on your website and you're hosting them, nobody's going to believe that. Yeah, there, there is a certain legitimacy that people proxying those through Google, who is already proxying them through Yelp, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that gives them – the. The thing I want to emphasize is don't run before you can walk, though. Yeah. Kiss Pam. <laughs> Kiss Pam. Keep it simple, stupid. 
your phone, your address, and your menu. Address and menus. <laughs> that is what you need to worry about first and foremost. Do it. Do it right and do it well. Before you worry about – and a lot of places, especially – I mentioned at the start of the show, we're talking about smaller restaurants. A lot of smaller restaurants don't need a reservation system to begin with. No. It's it's just not prob- necessary. Well, prob- probably not. Probably, yeah. And it depends. Yeah. Pittsburgh, Kansas is very different from Ithaca, New York, for instance. <laughs> if you do need reservations, all you have to do on your website is put call for reservations and put the phone number or email or whatever. The P and Pam. Notice yeah. Pam does not have an E in it. There is no email connected to that. <laughs> um, yeah. I have never in my life emailed a restaurant asking for reservations or any information, frankly. I wouldn't wouldn't email if I was expecting any kind of response. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. there's, there's a certain human element to that. Um, mm-hmm. and similarly, don't get drawn in by all the shiny things. I was reading a couple articles mm-hmm. that I haven't included in the show notes. Those show notes, what? by the way, are available at drunkenux.com. Uh, <laughs> one of the things, uh, a, a couple of these articles we're talking about were, you know, make sure that you've featured beautiful photography of your food right on, you know, as a centerpiece of on your, your food. No, of your food. Of your food, yeah. First of all, if you're, yeah. if you're going to do that, don't use yeah. stock photos. I will personally hunt you down and, and give you a good little throat punch if you're using stock photos. If you're using stock photos of someone else's food for your hamburger or item, you might as well use an icon or a stylized drawing of one. <laughs> you might as well close because your food isn't good enough to probably keep you open. I'm sorry, but, I mean, let's face it, there is a certain truth to what I just said. And, and while it's, you know, this isn't necessarily a service that's out there or anything, but photography is good, and people do want to see mm. your food. But remember, yeah. it is supplemental to all the other things. Mm-hmm. Don't go Definitely. out and spend a ton of money getting a photographer to come out and take pictures if you aren't going to satisfy kissing Pam. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it because it's going to keep getting creepier oh. every time. Uh, and like I say, <laughs> as somebody who does photography as a sort of not professional hobby but prosumer type Mm -hmm. hobby level by all means i want to come out i want to take pictures of your food but yeah as the restaurant owner they need to understand that there are things that are more important than that and if all you have are pretty pictures that doesn't get you anywhere google does not index your pictures when people are doing (laughs) you know looking for search results they they do um I have noticed I, I got a Pixel 2 a while ago, and whenever I go to a place, like a restaurant or something, it has been asking me, hey, you want to take some photos while you're there? And then they, they use the photos in the Google Maps search list, yes. search results. I am yeah. a Google local contributor, so I actually take part mm-hmm. in that uh, exact program. Nice. I get fake internet points for it, just like on Imager. <laughs> no, you don't get to know what my Imager handle is. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> So some things have to remain anonymous. <laughs> one one thing though, so yeah, Google is a good example. Google is I mean, let's face it, Google is the third party, right? Mm-hmm. They are the third party of all third parties as far as that goes. But I'm yeah. really surprised that Facebook has not done more here. Mm-hmm. Most restaurants, in fact, I think pretty much every restaurant in my area has a Facebook page. You know, until you mentioned that, I hadn't really given it much thought, but it seems like such an easy thing that Facebook could do. You know, have a, a subclass of pages or whatever, and then have it just have restaurant features. And have a menu so easy. feature. Yeah, yeah. Facebook knows that people want menus. They're already trying to take over the world. You might as well offer <laughs> restaurant menus. <laughs> they already know when it comes to any business, they want hours, they want location, they want reviews. Yeah. They've empowered all of that, but the absence of a menu piece is actually really, really surprising for me. Yeah. We have a, a restaurant here in town. I always end up having to go look for a menu because I just – I never have one at the house, and mm-hmm. I frequently order uh, uh, delivery, so I don't go there to get one. They yeah. uploaded ages ago their menu taken as pictures on a phone to their <laughs> post stream. So oh. somewhere underneath 300 other photos of daily specials is their menu. We looked for it uh, a couple weeks ago. I had a friend in town. We we're like, hey, 
what sounds good? We're like, that place that's downtown. And mm-hmm. we're like, all right, let's see what we want. And I spent 20 minutes looking for that menu, and I never found it. We had to physically drive down there and put in our order because we couldn't find that menu. It's like, if you're going to do that, at least make an album called Menu. <laughs> that would, I guess, work. That oh. That's the least you can do. If, if you are relying, and a lot of people do this as well, a lot of folks rely on Facebook to be their website basically okay facebook already has the ability to check in like they can already do they can already connect an internet user to a real life location i feel like they're missing out on this opportunity here to do check-in conversions you show an ad for a restaurant someone somehow gets shown that ad or something and then later on they check into your restaurant bam i mean that that should be a valuable conversion right there yeah that not something that I had thought about. Uh, that's an yeah. interesting idea. Uh, and I mean, you could extend that to a lot of places. Yeah, they, that's a, a really easy like uh, analytics path that they could track. And then, uh, I mean, there, you'd need to add some extra extra foo in there in the middle. But yeah. So Google is pulling most of their menu data uh, metadata from allmenus.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the primary provider, and a lot of restaurants will go to allmenus.com. They say, you know, we own this restaurant, and they will insert their menu into there, and that's where that menu gets aggregated and then pushed out to all the other uh, points. I want to caution people, and this is going to be the word of warning for the next couple points, is that (laughs) here's the thing. A, if you're not doing it well yourself, why are you relying on other people to do it for you? That's number one. And secondly, as a user, and I'm going to caveat this or preface this uh, with, again, I'm from a small town. Compared to Mm -hmm. a lot of people, compared to probably most of the folks who listen to the podcast, my city is not a big city. Almanese.com, I looked it up, and I wanted to know specifically what they showed for my area before we did this episode. And they do have data. It's almost exclusively from the chains. We're talking Pizza Hut. We're talking Applebee's. There were a couple others mixed in there. All of the, like, either regional chains or single restaurants were closed. And huh. and I'm not talking about, like, closed for the day. <laughs> I closed for good. I'm, I mean, they I'm went looking at ours of, right now. They I'm went curious. out of business years ago. <laughs> yeah. I see a few closed ones for Ithaca too. It's it's lots of they have a lot of out of date information that is not reliable for your customers when they're looking for stuff, and it makes me distrust the platform in general. And the updates that yeah. get into their system don't happen magically, right? So, I think that's something to consider when you're like, well, we'll just put everything in all menus. So, like, basically, Google's pulling from all menus, and all menus is pulling from the internet. So it's like you have a demo tape out there for your hot band and then someone's making a copy of that and then that person's making a copy of their copy and giving it to Google, which is the promoter. Yeah, all menus is is either relying on people coming to their site and physically putting in the menu um, or they maybe are scraping. I don't know whether or not they scrape the schema data. I would presume they probably do um, because, I mean, that would be core to their business model, but I don't know for a fact that they do that. Um, I just realized they made a cassette tape reference. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Could be worse. (laughs) What other ones are there? Oh, there's Grubhub, right? I said a bunch of Grubhub on here. Yes, we got Grubhub, and I'll I'll lump in there with uh, Beyond Menu. They're another one. I'm not using that one. Is that like Grubhub? Yeah, it's very similar. So these are services that, like all menus, they want to aggregate menu data in from other restaurants. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. I've used uh, Beyond Menu locally, actually. We've got a restaurant here that's using it. Um, and it's it's not terrible. It's not great. It does mm-hmm. suffer the exact same problems as all menu. You know, they're relying yeah. on people to put information in. Beyond Menu and Grubhub are also pushing their delivery service component. Like all menus, if you go yeah. to all menu, they link to Grubhub for stuff. Right. They aren't trying to solve the delivery question, but Beyond Menu and Grubhub obviously are. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to tell you that you should or shouldn't use that. Here's a, here's a fun thing that you may or may not have known. If you look at the number, the phone number on Grubhub, 
the phone number that they give you for a business is not the business's phone number. It's the relay number. So when you call that business through the number on Grubhub, it goes through the Grubhub relay, and I'm guessing that gets tracked somehow. And then I'm guessing they probably get a cut of it or something. I don't know. But um, the, the restaurant knows that you're calling via Grubhub. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what I would do with that information necessarily outside of, you know, advertising type. Right. Type deals. Um, I think one of the big problems for me is that, you know, these services, especially, again, in small markets, have super limited availability. Like, there is nothing for Grubhub here. I can't use Grubhub yeah. in my area. We we have uh, – I mean, I'm a college town, so, like, we have quite a bit of Grubhub yeah, stuff. So here. are we. I, I've used – yeah, well – I, I used it a bit, but uh. yeah, it, it comes back to the same sort of thing. You're this reliance on a third party to handle your menu data as opposed to mm-hmm. handling it yourself and setting up the means by which they can just ingest that. Yeah, the value I think is very limited. And like with Beyond Menu, one of the things Beyond Menu also empowers is uh, takeout orders. So you mm-hmm. know, put in your order and just go get it if there isn't delivery, but. Like the org- the the restaurant here that is using it, they aren't even using that piece of it. They're literally just <laughs> using it to show their menu. I actually, I, the reason I don't typically use Grubhub is because I don't trust it to have all the menu details. Because sometimes they'll, they, I know that the restaurant offers something and it's not listed on Grubhub, and so I prefer to just call. There's something distinctly untrustworthy about going to a third party and trusting them to tell me what the restaurant has. I don't know mm-hmm. what that necessarily is, but it's like I don't have any way of knowing whether what they are giving me is either accurate or up-to-date. Restaurants change menus all the time or prices all the time. How do I know that what I'm yeah. seeing is a reflection of that? And that's, I think, one of the, right. my big complaints as a consumer about whether it's all menus, Beyond Menu, Grubhub, any of these other services and, and their alliance. That's one piece of the puzzle. The other piece is how we go about helping restaurants get better sites. Mm-hmm. The whole first part of the episode, we kind of talked about you know how their web presence just exists and, and whatnot, but not how it exists. Right. And there are services yeah. that are set up to facilitate that, right? Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> let's, let's just be blunt on this, I guess. So you've got these, yeah. these sites, right? You've got Webflow. You've got Wix. Mm-hmm. You've got Squarespace. All of them sell themselves, and most of these folks, they advertise on YouTube shows and other podcasts and all of this. You know, they are the, the they are the engine that drives small business. If you are a small business sure. and you need a website, by God, come to us and we will get you that website without <laughs> any problems. I I have I have friends that have used well Squarespace at least, and they, I, I mean it's. It's good. You can make some shiny looking websites and it's pretty easy to maintain the content. Like, it's not bad. I was just helping yeah. somebody recently with a square pa- square pace. Squarespace. <laughs> I'll tell you what, one of these days I'm going to figure out the pace to drink while we're doing the Drunken UX <laughs> podcast in which I, I don't screw up a line, but it's not today. <laughs> they use Squarespace and they were having trouble with a developer lock and they were trying to figure out how they edit their site and whatnot. At any rate. Okay. My feeling is that if these sites were really the the future, they would mm-hmm. already be here, so to speak. Like, yeah, their their market penetration, I don't feel is like representative of what they're going after. Not that they're not successful, not that they're not doing what they do well. Um, Webflow, mm-hmm. I've had some conversations with folks that believe that Webflow is the absolute future, and I encourage folks if you want to go look it up. What their their tool is in very interesting. I will give them that. I hadn't heard of them until today, and I checked them out, and it was it was pretty good. It's, like I was I was impressed with the code. I've seen worse. The the idea certainly. that WYSIWYGs cannot yeah. produce good code. Yeah. Like. Yeah, that's gone. They've that's gone. kind of attacked that headlong and done a good job, and I mm-hmm. absolutely give them credit for that. But sure. I I don't know. I just I don't know that. These services, they they do solve a problem, but I think mm-hmm. they require the person using it to have a motivation that a lot of folks just don't have. See, I think if they were just 
if one of these services would just say like we're gonna make a special template just for restaurants just like i said earlier with facebook and they had a, a kind of a custom template that offered pam um pam solutions and that would be awesome and i, I actually think that that would be a good use of the tool in this case yeah because it's really low maintenance as far as the stuff you're doing and yeah you you need that turnkey type of process to yeah. come out and and really give you know and and hammer it hard you know one of the problems yeah. that these folks like webflow and squarespace have are that they're trying to be everything for everyone in the small business mm -hmm. segment so it, yeah. it makes it much harder for them to target an industry and absolutely go after it how, how great would it be if you had a restaurant template on one of those sites and for you to even like you could not click launch website or update website unless you had phone address and menu filled out so i've not used this particular <laughs> tool so i'm i'm speaking with virtually no like insider information on it and they they haven't contacted us they haven't paid for any advertisement this is not a plug necessarily it's more a hey this exists but bento box is i think trying to be those people um it's also a delicious lunch <laughs> it is a delicious way to get lunch <laughs> and a delicious way to apparently get your favorite restaurant's menu um yeah i so i hadn't heard about them so tell yeah, me yeah so they are entering entering this same space as um do you know civic plus is that name? No. Civic Plus is in this similar space. Civic Plus is a CMS provider that is geared towards municipalities. So if oh, you go to okay. your city's cool. website, they may use Civic Plus. That a lot of places cool. do. Um, Sidearm, Sidearm Statistics. They do okay. athletics websites for universities and high schools. Oh, all right. Um, so Bento Box is saying we can be a service provider for restaurants. We aren't going to do mm -hmm. anything else. We're going to do one thing, and we're going to do it amazing. Yeah. They went out. They got themselves like $5 million in VC. Uh, wow. So clearly people think there's something there. Um, or they think that there's a demand for this. They least. think there's a demand. And I yeah. definitely think there is – there's need. Let me – I'm not going to mm -hmm. use the word demand because you can have right. need without demand, and I think that's the, the sure. scary part. And. <laughs> so I think it'll be interesting to see like where a service like Bento Box goes and if they can make good on that on that investment because um, my understanding and again this is secondhand so don't take this to to heart if you're a restaurant and you're interested in checking them out um, but their service runs between one and five hundred dollars a month yeah so you do have to sit down and then I, figure out is that something you're gonna get you know from? they should offer a lower tier. 10 20 bucks a month with like super simple like just pam right and like basic photos like not all of the awesome looking stuff literally just like we need a restaurant website to promote stuff so that we can be like google maps compliant and all menus compliant yeah. and have all of that machine data in it yeah and they are absolutely trying just, like, to tackle basic. that online ordering mm -hmm. yeah online takeout uh type market um they did like a million dollars in revenue in last year, something like that. Um, so and, and, and they're yeah. they're going after any, it. any restaurant, any restaurant that wants the vanity features like the fancy layout and all the photos and everything, they're gonna have the budget to spend a hundred to five hundred bucks. But there's also a market where you need to to not have that. Totally, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so as we you know kind of wind down here, as we think mm -hmm. about this subject and the the things i want people to take away first off don't rely on third parties yeah you're leave you're going to leave your customers constantly in a state of wondering whether you know if it's the menu whether it's up to date whether the hours are right whether the address is right you know yeah you want to empower those third parties you want to use facebook you want your all menus thing to be up to date you want your google data to be up to date absolutely through and through but all of that yeah. starts with your web presence and making sure that you have kissed Pam and and <laughs> told her good night and you know that's one of the things that the like so a social media consultant will tell you is that the the conversation about your brand is going to happen whether or not you're involved in it and so your participation in that conversation will allow you to have more influence over what gets said about your brand 
and the same thing goes with your restaurant. There, there are other, there, there's going to be information about your restaurant on the internet. There's a good chance it won't be accurate, though. Yeah. And, and so then, as is the refrain we always drive home, think about your goals and and mm-hmm. what you're doing. You know, bento box. Let's say bento box. You spend five hundred bucks a month. Know how you're going to measure whether or not you're getting five hundred dollars worth of value out of it. That's not that much money when you stop and think about it. Um, depending on how many tables uh, you turn a night, that could be easily achievable if you're the type of restaurant that needs its features. Um, and if they are right. handling all of that, you know, for you from a technology standpoint, point, that's a uh, that's crazy valuable. But you have to know how to measure those values. So. Yeah. Think about the goals that you have and how you're going to achieve those values. And, you know, is it something as simple as it's you don't have to, you know, set up goal funnels and Google Analytics and, and all this. <laughs> think, just think about you can. <laughs> how many takeout orders did you get per week last week or last year? Right. And how many do you want to start getting per week this year? And mm-hmm. what are you going to do to empower that? If you're going to get a great menu on your site with an obvious call to action to your phone number, See if you can get two more orders a week on your takeout. You could even do a thing where you just, uh, you know, put a promo thing, a very short, short-term promo thing on your website for a week or something, and say like, mention you saw this ad and get a free side item or whatever. Yeah, and that's free beer. A great way to bring this full circle. You know, this idea that restaurants are a medium where you're turning digital visitors into physical visitors very quickly. Yeah. Um, that's a fantastic way because if somebody did find you online, everybody loves mm-hmm. a deal. You know, if they can save 10%, yeah. they're going to do it. You know, think about that Groupon has yeah. built their industry on this idea um, <laughs> right. that if people come to your restaurant and can say, hey, by the way, saw the 10% coupon on your website. Awesome. You know immediately that that is right. translating to value. Oh, but if you are doing that. Train your staff to take that information down so that you can track those conversions. Like, don't forget the follow-up. You got to know, okay, this month, how many people did we get that mentioned the web? It, it takes a little bit of work. You know, nobody's going to tell mm-hmm. you that's not true. And if you're the developer yeah. helping, you know, again, this comes right. back into maybe you negotiate a deal to kind of just help along for six months or something and help them figure this stuff out. But, yeah, again, if – if you're a restaurant owner, it's easy to do literally everything we have brought up in tonight's episode is under a thousand bucks. If you are a web a restaurant owner and you have a Facebook page for your website, do promos in the menus or post it in the restaurant somewhere that say if you check in on Facebook, you get some kind of you get a small discount or you get something free dessert or whatever. Because people who check in, that gets shared with their friends. Yeah. It's free promotion. And, and we didn't even talk about, you know, you know, the the actual process of launching a Facebook ad and a campaign and all right. that. But um it's easy. It's easy to do and it's that's yeah. also pretty cheap, especially if you were trying to target mm-hmm. like a very small area in a very particular time. Yeah. Definitely. Folks, I'm glad you joined us this evening. I'm, I, I hope you uh, had a fun ride with us and, and enjoyed kissing Pam. <laughs> kissing <and> Pam. <laughs> how many more times do I have to say it before it gets creepy? I know what I want to put in the header image this week. <laughs> <laughs> but let us know what you think. If you've worked with restaurant websites, please, by all means, drop by the website, leave a comment, let us know what your experience was like, check out the show notes. Get some information. There's some research there. There's some trend information there. We also have links uh, to the accessibility stuff we talked about at the very start. Drop by and check it out, and we will see you next time. This episode of the Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by Gasmark 8. Look, web hosting is not sexy. It's just something that's kind of there. You pay every month to the big hosting company that secretly owns all the smaller hosting companies, and you get slow speeds, oversold servers, and terrible support. But the reality is, the couple extra seconds it takes for your website to load could mean lost customers or clients. Less customers equals less money. Where do you go if you want super fast, reliable, and affordable web hosting and you don't really want to babysit a Linux server 24-7? Gasmark 8. Their hosting environment is built for speed and security. All SSD storage, check. Blazing fast WordPress, check. Free SSL certificates for all domains if you don't already have one, check. 
data centers on both US coasts, the UK, and mainland Europe? Yes, yes, yes. Gas Mark 8 was started by an American, Mike Rachwalski, and a Brit, Adam Palin. Two hired veterans who met at a conference and started a company making WordPress websites. As more clients complained about their web hosting, Mike and Adam thought over a couple of ciders at the pub that there's got to be a better way. So they built one, and now dozens of small businesses, developers, and nonprofits trust GasMark8 with hosting their websites. If you run a web development or creative agency, GasMark8 has a great reseller program you can use to upsell their fast and secure hosting to your clients. As a special for listeners of the Drunken UX podcast, GasMark8 is offering this limited time special. You can get all the features of their super fast platform for just $10 a month. Just go to gasmark8.com slash drunk to sign up. That's gasmark, the number eight, dot com slash drunk. Hey, be sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter slash Drunken UX. And we haven't mentioned it before, but we have a Slack channel because everyone does. Uh, you can get a redirect to the sign up for it on drunkenux.com slash Slack. We'll be back in a couple weeks with the next episode and some more drinks and some more information and hopefully a little bit more fun.